What's up, YouTube? Welcome back to the channel. Today, I'm excited to share with you a few questions that came in in a recent training from July 24th, talking about jazz and trombone. And uh, you're gonna see the questions and hear the answers. I'm so glad you could be here. Thanks for joining and uh, enjoy this video. Uh, how do you get the same sound every time you touch the horn? That is the goal, right? That is the goal. We're trying to raise the floor of our musicianship. We're trying to raise the floor of our uh, basic baseline of playing, of sound production. And so number one is you have to have a really strong sound concept. To me, that's really important. Knowing what you want it to sound like before you even play. So that's number one. Number two is making sure that um, you're doing exercises that allow you to focus on your sound, uh, like long tones, like long tones with motion, like, uh, uh, you know, just thinking about long tones with motion, making, getting that sound concept to apply, and then practicing a lot. Uh, not a lot as in a lot at a time, but being frequently practicing and thinking about your sound every time that you're doing it. So uh, it's just really, really important to, to be able to like implement uh, those, those um, sound concepts that you're thinking about while you're actually practicing. So uh, we're doing that. We're increasing our ability to play things like we're shoe etudes, we're playing different types of etudes, different ballads, and just thinking about sound all the time. Uh, so the more that you think about sound, the more you use that sound concept, the more, Noah, you're going to be able to get the same sound every time you pick it up. Now, the third part, and probably the most difficult part of that, is that you actually have to hold yourself accountable to playing with that great sound all the time, especially in the realm of jazz music and jazz musicians. Sometimes we get this... Um, What's happening, Scott Tixier? Hello. Uh, we get into this habit of settling for less than perfect. Not perfect, but settling for less than the ideal that's in our mind. We say like, oh, it's just jazz. Oh, it's just this. And we don't hold ourselves to that really specific uh, thing that's in our brain. If we don't take the time to hold ourselves to that accountability, how are we ever going to get better? So the third and most important part is to hold yourself accountable while you're practicing. Hold yourself accountable while you're practicing. Don't settle for okay, you know? And that's really hard. It's really hard to sound bad and like be motivated to continue to practice something hard and practice something um, until it sounds right, you know? Um, so, so Noah, um, get that sound concept, play lots of uh, exercises and etudes that will hold you accountable to that good sound and then apply it to every single thing and don't settle for less. Uh, and as you go through, it'll be easier and easier and easier uh, to hold yourself to that standard. And eventually you won't have to try that hard to be able to actually have it come through. So th that, those are my suggestions uh, to try to get that same beautiful sound every single time you pick up the horn. Same beautiful sound every time you pick up the horn. But I'll, I'll continue both questions at once here. Uh, Chris Gurr says, what's your microphone recommendation for a home studio? Um, I'm assuming he's talking about that for trombone. But um, so yes, we are helping artists. We can, with Zoom, you can go and take over someone's computer. So if you have a computer or a phone with a camera and some a little bit of free software on your computer 
and some time we can uh, get together we can make your live streaming thing happen uh, it does require a little bit of software you're going to want to invest in some software i use ecamm live um, that and i have a, a link to that that i should share somewhere but uh, just look it up just google it ecamm live um, it's super easy to use it allows you to broadcast uh, over to Facebook or over to YouTube and there's another thing called Restream and anyway so we can get all of that set up with whatever equipment you have just get in touch with me it doesn't have to be super complicated <clears throat> but uh, over the last four months I've experimented with, with about just every type of way to try to get um, our high quality stream uh, going and to various degrees of success if you go look at the live streams from the last four months you can see sometimes there's some crazy errors and same things the Instagram crashes and all this kind of stuff it's it's the Wild West out there with uh, streaming stuff so yes heart dance thank you for the uh, the tea up there uh, so Gers he asked about the microphone um, I think whatever you have is pretty good and you can make things work. One of my students just has an SM57. Sounds pretty decent. Um, my favorite, favorite microphone for any studio is the Coles 4038. Uh, AEA makes another ribbon. That's pretty good. I like the sound of trombone with ribbon mics. That's just what I like. So um, if I can send you that direction, go for it. AEA, there's a few ones that are good. I forget the number, but it looks like a pill like this. Not the stereo one that's really long, but it's a little shorter. Somebody probably knows, and we'll drop it in the chat uh, here. What's up? Will Hawley's here. How are you? That's something, I guess, about your recording setup. Uh, so those are the microphones I like. I don't have that at home. I've been using something really, really simple, and it sounds decent. Um, this is what I've been using. It's from Apogee, which is an audio company, and they mic. it's just called a mic, and it's very simple. We got them a number of years ago for my nonprofit, the Institute of Creative Music, and we've been using them to record and do workshops and live streams for years, actually, since like 2014, something like that. And so I've been using it for a while. Uh, this microphone here that I'm talking with, I'll raise it up a little bit. You can't really see it, but you can sort of see it. It's a Rode NT-USB uh, is what I'm using there. And then on Instagram, I'm just, uh, I have a lapel mic, which is now probably making all kinds of crazy noise. Uh, and uh, that goes right into the phone. I've tried all different things, trying to get the computer audio to the to the Instagram Live and a bunch of adapters and stuff. I have these. Um, you can get these adapters for your iPhone, which go um, USB to Lightning and then USB to uh, an uh, an eighth inch input. So I got these from watching like some DJ videos on on, on uh, YouTube, or maybe it was on Instagram, I don't know, but to try to get the audio from one into the other, because the iPhone doesn't want to, really doesn't want to input audio. So, I don't know. Um, I've tried that. It didn't work super well. I was cr creating crazy, like, cross-feedback and stuff like that. So, um, I prefer just to do the audio separately into Instagram and then talk to you guys here on Facebook and uh, everywhere else, Twitter, etc., cetera, uh, via this microphone and, and my, my DSLR camera here. What's your favorite PDF practice scale technique? So first of all, uh, Gers, you're welcome. Second of all, PDF practice scale technique. Um, well, that brings me to the other thing I was gonna talk about before some questions came in and I just jumped right into the, con the, the, the stream here was 
to talk about uh, jazz trombone Christmas in July. So if you go to my Instagram bio, if you go to my website, just Google that, uh, go to my YouTube channel, whatever. I've been putting out a video every day of some kind of jazz scale something with free PDFs. Uh, so there's 25 in all for July 2020. So you can go and find those. Um, the most important ones probably are the major scale workout. Um, and if, there's a lot more in my virtual studio, but those aren't for free. So uh, in terms of a free one, you want to check out the ones that are going to help you get super flexible in a key because my whole approach to jazz improvisation is practicing all of the different ways to play uh, that you might want when you go to improvise. So you want to have already played all the shapes, all of the scales, all of the triads, all of the seventh chords before you go and try to improvise totally freely because you're not going to be able to uh, know where those intervals are or know where those notes are without the context of having gone through them already. So uh, with, the, with the scale workouts, there's two of them on YouTube. So both for major scale and they're going to help you to be totally flexible, totally fluid uh, on those scales in those workouts, trying to develop tech, uh, not technology, trying to develop um, great vocabulary, language, harmony uh, while improvising. So understanding a little bit at a time, take one scale at a time. This is what we do uh, with my students at UNT. We take one of these workouts, we have a major Major scale workout, we have two of them. We have a minor scale workout, we have a mode workout. And so every semester I assign a different one and a semester is 15 weeks. And so of those weeks, we got week one, which there's nothing we're usually prepared for. We have midterm and final, so that leaves 12. So that means 12 weeks of real work and 12 keys. So we do one in a week. And so if you can take the next time, like if you wanna like keep up and just as decide a semester, you know, ours starts 1920, like the 24th of August. So you start on the 24th of August, do one key per week, and follow, you can follow along. And, you know, we'll do, we'll start with, you know, whichever one, probably in C, and then just go through and do one per week. Um, so anyway, if you go to nickfinzer.store, there's like a bunch of free PDF downloads. You can grab those and, uh, Tell your friends. So www.nickfinzer.store is what you can where you can go to to find those. It's up on the Facebook stream if you're watching on Facebook. Obviously, I can't really type on the screen on Instagram. If you had to pick any specific song off any record, what song would it be? That's mine. Oh, that's a difficult question, Anthony. Um, let's see. One song off one of my records. Um, one of my other favorite things I've ever recorded is Duke Ellington's Single Petal of a Rose. And it's not my song, but it's one of the favorite things I've ever recorded, that's for sure. Uh, it's for three bass, three bass clarinets, two and three trombones. Is that right? Or two bass clarinets and three trombones. Something like that, five or six. And um, it is, it, and I never intended it necessarily from the beginning to be that way, but my producer, Ryan Truesdale, is... Um, He's a wizard and uh, very intuitive, and he kind of suggested that maybe we should try out like doing something surprising, right? Because the the whole record is the same band, you know, the same instrumentation. But what if we kind of switched it up and we tried to 
uh, do something different. So what we did is do an, that arrangement with multiple bass clarinets and overdubbing and getting all those parts happening. And if you know that song, um, it's originally just a um, solo piano song, and then uh, I arranged it for multiple trombones. And so that's one of my favorite things that I've ever recorded. And then if I had to pick something, I'm gonna just do it just because it's the new record, cast of characters. Uh, I'm gonna just send you to the sorcerer. That's also one of my favorites. Um, just it's one of it's one of the tunes that I've written that I I like because it starts one place and it ends in another place and it takes you on a journey and it sets up the whole album and in such a way where all the themes are introduced and so for me it was um, kind of like this macro project to create something that would transcend the whole album and be able to introduce all of those themes and all of the ideas and it features Lucas Pino. Uh, who's an amazing tenor saxophonist, and he uh, plays an amazing solo, and the band is just killing on this track. So I send you to that. Single Petal of a Rose off of Here and Now, and then The Sorcerer off of the new record. Have you ever met Bill Watrous? Yeah, Bill passed a couple years ago now, but I did get to meet him a few times. We both... Um, 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 we both had to... Sorry, we both are cons were or he was Conselmer artist, so I got to meet him at the booth a couple of times. Super gracious guy, super nice guy. Um, obviously, we know his legacy and his um, ability to play the trombone, right? I mean, I remember the first time I heard "Tiger of San Pedro" when I was in high school, and just was like, "What trombone can do that? What are we? What is that?" Um, so yeah, Bill Watrous. I did get to meet him a few times, mostly at the booth at trombone events. Um, I guess the last time maybe was when it, I was at the ITF in New York, maybe at Juilliard. Maybe that was the last time. Maybe maybe I saw him after that somewhere else. All those kind of trombone events tend to blur together. They're kind of they're kind of all the same after after a while, you know. Do you read books often? Uh, any personal development? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I've been getting back into a kick, and we just cleaned out our bookshelf. It's in the other room, but um, yes, what did I just read? I just so I've just finished reading a couple of things. I've read you know a couple of things that are maybe not super interesting, but I kind of read them as like because in my with my company outside of music we do uh, we do music marketing and consulting and stuff. So I try to keep up on all of that sort of thing. So I just read. Um, some books that were there were ebooks from some various people that are in that space, uh, so I've read some of the some of those. But I just read Seth Go reread Seth Godin's This Is Marketing book. I'm in the middle of rereading Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans book, which is super big and long, so uh, it's taken a while to get through that. I just read um, a book called uh, What Is it? It's got it's it's uh, Move Fast and Break Things. It's about um, it's kind of dark, actually, but it's it's about the technology industry and about how with the adaptation of streaming, it's really just ruined the entire creator economy. So um, that for sure. I just read that. Um, I've been trying to push myself to read a lot more, but um, I just I'm blanking now. But those are a few things that I read. I like that Seth Godin book. Um, this is marketing. It helps you to think about how you can position your music in such a way that 
it's like bringing value to an audience and just showing up again and again rather than uh, hey buy my stuff come to my gig you know um, so uh, how do you practice tuning you practice tuning with a drone uh, because I hate tuners because then you're tuning with your eyes and not your ears and tuning is always relative I don't know how many people probably some people that are on the stream even uh, either on Facebook or on um, Instagram are have played with out-of-tune pianos or have gone to Europe and played with pianos that are tuned to 442 or played with really flat pianos that are maybe 438 or 436 uh, and you have to adjust so uh, if you get in the habit of being right on the thing every time, that's great. And if I play, you know, it's probably going to sound like whatever I last heard, you know, like whatever tuning the last thing I heard was uh, and I played along with. Sometimes if I'm playing along with a flat recording, I'm hearing flat. If I'm hearing sharp, I hear sharp. Um, I have generally a pretty good sense of which direction it is, you know, like and when they tune piano sharp, it really does bother me a lot. But um, practice with a drone. I just use... Uh, either my drones that I made, you can find them on Spotify. Uh, just they're sine wave drones, so they don't have any overtones. Well, they do have overtones, but they're not the same as like, I like also like the cello drones. The cello drones are good. Those are on YouTube. Sorry, YouTube, Spotify, and you can find those and they are um, really easy to use and allows you to tune every key differently because every key functions differently. Like F in the key of F is different than C, is different than G flat, is different than E flat. You have to tune each note to each key because every chromatic note fits in every key and it fits in a different way so you know the major third has to be a little flat the minor third has to be a little sharp so you got to get used to um, tuning those things so get the tuner throw not don't throw it away but you know get rid of the tuner because you never know when you're gonna have to play with an out of tune situation so you got to tune with your ears not your eyes that's my thought that's where I would send you if you want to do work on your tuning and uh, the second part of tuning is that it's not always the tuning that's out of whack. Sometimes, most of the time it is, but uh, a lot of times it's also the balance. Like if you're playing a note in the chord that needs to be a little softer, you gotta kinda have to have that uh, sensibility to know like, I'm not gonna blast out this really crunchy note of the, of the voicing. It needs to be subtle. It needs to fit inside of the voicing, you know? Uh, that brings me to something else I wanted to bring up today was that Maria Schneider has a new album out today. Uh, she's a great composer, if you don't know her, with her jazz orchestra. And playing her music is a great example of this exact concept and topic in that you have to play the voicing and you have to play your part relative in volume to where you sit in the voicing. You know, nobody wants to hear the third trombone part just like blasted out above the t above everything else, you know, like... Those are not the notes that want to come out in the voicings that we want to have a balance. So you have to gain that sense. And I think it's just from listening and maybe, you know, standing in front of a band and hearing something that's out of balance and being like, no, I'll play that a little softer. And they're like, there you go. And, uh, you know, I can't give a specific recommendation on like what note needs to be louder or softer, but, you know, you can hear it when you're standing in front of the band and you can kind of balance those things. You started putting together content together did you separate your content in different groups such as having videos for promotional stuff and videos for your social media audience or did you start out using whatever you had for everything uh, okay so and then he says i hope that makes sense yeah so let me put it back up if you're on facebook you can see his question 
Uh, and then Luke, I'll come back to you. I see you. I see your question. Um, when I started putting content together, I didn't have a lot of ideas about what different content meant. Um, if I was starting out now, and you're starting out now and thinking about content, I wouldn't worry about quote unquote promotional stuff. I would find things that you can create that people want to tune into to get some information or get some, basically I put it into education, inspiration, education and aspiration. Those are like the buckets of content. So yes, I put them into a bucket, but I put them in those buckets. Uh, promotions are just an ask. So I think you have to balance out the ask with the other three, right? So if you wanna ask people to buy your record, you gotta give them at least a few, five, six, seven, eight, I think more like 90% is giving and one per, and the 10% is asking, uh, or, or even more, less asking and more giving, because you, you wanna develop a relationship with your audience and don't just like talk about yourself all the time, you know? Um, so I do put them into different groups. I hope those groups make sense, DJ. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about promotional stuff. Promotional stuff is for like selling yourself to people that care about having some kind of like official EPK or like official this or official that. But if you're trying to grow on social media, you got to think about how to connect with other people. So yes, like your like I know you did like a virtual big band video. So like you could take that video and put that video up, but then you could make a video about how you made the arrangement, how you went through the process of sending it out to everybody and then putting it together. Or if you didn't do it and you had somebody else do it, you could interview them and ask them how they did it uh, for, the, for the audio, for the video, for the overall concept, and then um, just sending it out there to the world. So that's how you take one thing and you make it into a bunch of uh, pieces of content, or at least that's what I try uh, to do. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, hopefully that makes sense, DJ. Uh, okay, so back to Luke. He says, when you play in a big band situation and you find that not everyone is listening, where do you find the pitch? Oh, man, that is a good question. I think Anthony responded. A suggestion was I would definitely make sure I'm in tune all the time and having the ability to make sure others are in pitch too. See, Anthony, the, the, the whole discussion that Luke and I are kind of suggesting here but with that question and what we were talking about before is that there is no such thing as like the pitch. Like, yes, there's 440. And then based on 440, there is a place for all the other notes. However, that's if A is the root, A440. But if A is the major third, it has to be flat. So in the key of F, that A perfectly in tune is out of tune. So you have, I think you have to listen down. So you have to listen to the bass. And then if the bass is out of tune, man, then you're in trouble. So sometimes if you have an out of tune piano, you have to play with the out of tune piano. So you need to like adjust. Um, sometimes you get a lead trumpet player who's super sharp and you're playing lead trombone and you kind of just have to match. Um, so well, let me see, what was Luke's question exactly? Oh yeah, when nobody's listening. That's the hardest part. When nobody's listening and you are listening and you're trying to find where you fit. Gosh, I can't tell you how many times this happened. You can hopefully you can see my reaction. You're just like, man, it's the hardest thing. Uh, it's the hardest thing to really um, find out. So I listen to whatever, whoever I'm playing with. So if it's like the trumpet, all the brass are playing, I just try to listen to the brass. If the if, I, if it's like, yeah, the bass is out of tune and the piano is out of tune, you know, you're just kind of screwed. So um, at that point, sometimes it's just like 
close my ears and blow you know i put the earplugs in and just go but um most of the time i think most you know musicians want to listen to each other most musicians are doing that and so anyway i think the best way is you got to listen down but sometimes the bass is out of tune and then you're like man you're you're kind of flat or whatever but it's a spectrum there's no there to me it's a spectrum there's no one answer you got to play with each other and just it depends what key we're in so you know that low e if it's if it's kind of wonky on the bass it's going to kind of set things up to be a little funny so i don't know i guess that's not a great answer but i'm trying i guess i'm trying to assess all of those things so usually that means i'm going to end up playing quieter and listening more the more i feel like i'm out of tune because for me like i guess i'm a little bit self-conscious and like i always think it's me you know it's i always think it's me it's out of tune i have to like listen for a long time over multiple tunes to re to like really decide like yeah it's not me <laughs> you know it's like i'm adjusting i'm it's not me and because uh, it's not getting better you know and uh somebody is not listening you know and it's causing everything to be a little funky so yeah give it the drones remember that it's a spectrum don't use your eyes use your ears um yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one that blames themselves all the time. Luke says he blames himself too. So yeah, use your ears, not your eyes. Train yourself to tune to whatever the situation is because you never know what you're gonna, uh, you never know when you're, what situation you're gonna be in and what crazy piano you're gonna have to play with or what, you know, what section you're gonna have to play with that uh, isn't listening. So um, yeah. Here's a question from Estes George Seven. Why does a trombone slide make a scratchy sound sometimes? That means you need to, to clean your trombone. Basically, is what that means. Um, it's it's rubbing on the inside. The the stocking is rubbing against the outer slide tube, is what that means. And so either you need to switch the the cream that you are using the cream the the uh, the the lubrication that you're using for the slide. I use. Uh, Product placement, Yamaha. No, I used the Yamaha slide stuff in the purple bottle, this one, I think. I saw they switched, uh, they switched, yeah, alignment. You see, it's rubbing to Isria. Hey, Isria. Just, uh, he said the alignment too is why it would be scratchy. Uh, yeah, so it's the alignment. It's, it's the metal is rubbing together is why it's making that sound. So it's, it's out of alignment. It's needing more lubrication. It's dirty. Like if it gets like gross on the inside, then it's rubbing and there's little pieces of dirt. They're going to crunch, you know? So Estes George says, also any tips for going to school for jazz? I'm going to the Manhattan School of Music for Jazz Trombone. Oh, that's exciting. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's going to be super fun. Um, I'm assuming for undergrad or are you a grad student? Um, let me know. But, uh, um, try to not, try to not, um, uh, it's, it's a tough thing. You have to both try to use the city to your advantage. And also number two, try to make sure you spend enough time actually getting your stuff together. Uh, so go and hear as much music as you can. Um, but make sure you're putting yourself into the practice room too. Like don't get distracted by the city. I think I would have been a little distracted by the city and trying to go and do everything. But I mean, you got four years, it's gonna be amazing to be able to build your network during that time. So do that, build your network. And so that when you get done, start thinking about after school when you start, because 
the scene is hard to break into in New York. I mean, in a lot of places, but, you know, in New York. And try to think about how you're going to build yourself up as a musician and an artist. So a craftsman and an artist. That's how I always talk to my students. There's the craftsmanship, the working stuff, like being able to play in an ensemble and tuning, like we've been talking about today. Uh, playing in a Broadway pit, sight reading, all of this stuff that you need to just be really good at your instrument, really great at music. And then your artistry is like through that study, where do you find yourself? You know, what trajectory, who are your influences? What type of music do you want to be making? Who do you want to be known to play with? Who do you want to play with? They're probably there in New York or they come through at some point. Um, so try to take advantage of that and um, just try to seek out as many teachers as you can. There's obviously, maybe you're studying with Marshall, uh, so that will be really great. So at any rate, um, make sure that we're focused in on uh, making the most of the experience and making sure that you're also practicing and getting, getting the work done. How much, he says, how much improvised is an improvisation? I have for a couple of years now began to improvise with bands, counting only on my inner ear and singing. No licks, no preparation other than playing freely at home before gigs. Sometimes it's nice, sometimes nothing comes out. Put it back up again so I can finish reading it. Uh, it appears to me that a vast majority of what I hear from confirmed jazz soloists is a lot of preparation is involved and everybody is talking about a lot of transcribing, which I sort, sort of do. What is exactly the goal? Copying ideas, manipulating vocabulary by adding diminished flavor to a diagonal phrase. Yeah, so I get the, the spirit of your question. I totally get it. Um, I, um, so, okay. You need to play everything to be able to freely improvise. That's the short answer to your question. The reason why we play scales, the reason why we play exercises, the reason why I put those different levels of improvisational vocabulary on YouTube is because you need to be, you need to play it first before you're going to hear it. So the goal is obviously to hear it and play it. Like that is the, goal to just improvise totally. But if you go and you talk to anyone that knew JJ, he was a perfectionist, he would play the same solo. This is a great example. DJ worked on this. The, there's a um, Bonology is the track and there's two takes. He plays the exact same solo except when he gets to the bridge. And the last day I think is different too. But he, it's almost exactly the same. You don't even know you're listening to a different recording until you get to the bridge and you're like, oh crap, sorry, that's the wrong Bonology, right? So this is a perfect example of like, it's a balance between working stuff out, meaning knowing what you can play and then applying it. And so along, there's a spectrum, you know, as a beginning improviser, you wanna have that bucket of knowledge, that bucket of scales and phrases and transcribing so that you have stuff to play so that when you can't think of anything you have all of this stuff to play and then as you go you start to connect your ear more to to your phrases and then you start to hear the phrases that you want to play from your bucket and then after that after you've like mastered those phrases you start to hear like variations on those phrases and you start to improvise around those phrases and you hear other people and you're able to take things in real time, plug them into your solos. And, and then after that, that's when you start to imply your own stuff. So you have, sometimes like I, what I did, and if you're following along on YouTube, I've been posting these videos of vocabulary. They go through like five levels. And so if you go through, you can see how I just created a line and then I manipulated it using different tools. So that's what I want you, that's how I like to think about these different things that we're using, like 
bebop scales, alter scales, diminished scales, pentatonic scales, whatever thing you're working on, whatever vocabulary device, but it's a system of how do we go from simple to complex, right? So how do we first know, I have to have some sort of idea of what we're gonna play by listening, by transcribing. That gives you, and, and the transcriptions get you not only the what, but also the how. And so I mean like, how do you play in this style? How do you swing? How do you connect with the drummer? How do you play the eighth notes? How do you flow like JJ? How do you flow like Slide? How do you flow like Curtis? And once you've learned those things and mastered those things, then you can kind of apply it to your own self and your own vocabulary and how you hear the music. But if you don't come through that, you have no context. And so it's hard to build context with people around you. Even if you're playing free music, you need to like have context for harmony so that you can play out of the harmony with with authority so you know what you're doing like if you just are being random all the time that can be a fine but i'm just saying like to have that knowledge and to come through it's gonna be more beneficial you know um you know like steve teray played with the art ensemble of chicago but he plays straight ahead you know like he can do both it's not it's not either or it's always both so um david i think the goal is to make music and you make music by being able to hear the phrases, which means you need the context. So I'm just working backwards, right? It's like, I need to build a language and you can improvise whatever you want freely at home, but if you don't build it off of the language that has built this music, like the JJ, the Curtis, the slide, whoever you like, it's not gonna be connected. It might be tangentially or loosely connected because we have all have the same scales and whatever, but if you don't come through that music, transcribe it, learn the phrases, learn how it feels, that's the thing that people miss a lot is how. How are they playing it? Where are the accents? What's the vibrato? Where Where is the phrase leading to? Where is it coming from? How do we, you know, really digging into the how part? You know, if you haven't transcribed Miles on So What, if you haven't transcribed um, Curtis on Blue Train, if you haven't transcribed like Old Devil Moon, J.J. Johnson, like these the kind of, these are like very, basic solos that will get you going in those ideas of developing phrases, hearing jazz as in terms of like the lineage and like how they're playing it and how they're different, how they're similar, all those things. Um, oh, and one more is Lester Leaps In. Lester Young and Lester, Lester Leaps In. Oh, and I'll take you, give you another one to get you some 50s bebop is uh, Hank Mobley on Remember, uh, all that stuff. The first chorus, the second chorus, he plays um, a lot of 16th notes. So I just have people skip that on trombone. So uh, there's five solos you can go and transcribe um, to try to get that. Um, so it's a long answer to a long question. <laughs> but um, I hope that makes sense, David. I know it's a lot of information, but you have to both have that predetermined knowledge, that pre-worked uh, out stuff. The, that's, you know, JJ wrote out solos. There's no shame in that, knowing what you can play in a given situation. No, nothing is wrong with that. I always thought for the longest time, man, like how do they just come up with this off the top of their head? But there's not always the discussion that this stuff is sometimes worked out and it's sometimes improvised. And then a great soloist can do this. They can take the stuff that they improvise and work out, combine it together and play with the other musicians all at the same time. So that's the goal. That's why you transcribe, you build vocabulary. All of that is preparation to connect your ears to your slide or to your instrument, and then to transcend that and be able to completely sing something in your brain 
or hear something in your brain and be able to execute it. So those are kind of, to me, the stages of, of that um, and why you'd want to go through the lineage, figure all that stuff out, do the work. Uh, that's how you can be a great soloist. Uh, there's no shortcut, unfortunately, and you got to study the, ma the a few masters at least and get deep inside of what they're doing. So at least that's how I came from. That's how it was beaten into me. Uh, and I really don't, I don't see another way um, unless you're just like a savant and can listen to something once and then memorize it. But yeah, so Davis says, uh, I've seen the solos you're talking about in the Get Ahead book. That's true. Uh, that's why I put them in there. Uh, those solos are, there's other solos in that book too, but definitely the Miles Davis one. Uh, the Blue Train one is not in there, uh, but um, and neither is Hank Mobley. But um, you got to have the context. That's what it is. It's, it's the what and the how. So don't forget about the how part. Don't forget about the how part. How you play the eighth notes, how you swing, how you make it happen. Super, super important because uh, if you have all the vocabulary in the world, but you swing like a lead brick, nobody, uh, nobody wants to play with you, you know? So that's that. Esty's best jazz trombone solo of all time. I don't know about that, man. I don't know if there's a best jazz trombone solo of all time. Uh, Curtis on, uh, what is that song called? It's really fast. Uh, Deese talks about it all the time. Uh, bam, wham, I forget what it's called. Um, but I don't think there's a best solo. There's always a best solo for a specific thing. I send my students to transcribe things that have a purpose and usually something that they haven't addressed yet. Like they haven't figured out long phrasing. So I'll send them to Bob Brookmeyer or like different phrasing starting on different beats or resolving on different beats. Or they haven't checked out super straight ahead bebop stuff. So I send them to JJ, send them to Steve Davis, you know? Uh, no, not, lo not locomotion. DJ. Uh, see, David, I appreciate what you're saying here. He says, I always wanted to be original and natural, so I almost reused, so he doesn't, he doesn't want to listen to other people, but that's wrong. And I'm sorry, like you can't develop your own style without having the knowledge of the styles. Like you can't, like you, you just, you need to build on the context. Even if you want to play freer or more harmonically adventurous than say jj johnson or or whoever that's fine but if you don't have that control you can't make a de another decision without that prerequisite knowledge if that makes sense it's like trying to just make up logic and math like you can't just make up that two plus two equals something else the way harmony works is the way harmony works in a western setting of course but what that is there's rules, and so we need to learn the rules so you can break them. Like, I don't follow the rules either when I'm improvising, but I know what they are, because if I don't know what they are, then I can't imp improvise with them. I can't bend them. I can't break them, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, so don't, don't disregard how important it is to check those masters out. There's a reason why people talk about them all the time. So thanks for watching. I hope that brought you some value. If it did, feel free, go down below, subscribe to the channel, hit the little bell so you can see uh, when there's new videos because there's new videos coming every week. Head over to nickfinzer.store because you definitely want this Happy Practicing t-shirt, whether it's in red or whatever color that you like. Uh, thank you for watching. Thanks for being subscribed. Thanks for telling your friends about the channel and uh, we'll see you in the next video.